Hello, my name's Hilary Alexander and I'm working with Debenhams to put the spotlight on its amazing portfolio of designers. Back in 1996, Debenhams was the first high street name to introduce a designer collection and over the last three decades, the lineup has grown to include more than a dozen of Britain's best names, including Richard Quinn, Studio by Preen, Julian MacDonald, Henry Holland, Jenny Packham and Matthew Williamson. And today we're talking to Patrick Grant, the designer behind the Hammond & Co menswear collection. Patrick, I've been reading your sort of brief CV and I feel like I'm kind of talking to some sort of mini tycoon or major tycoon <laughs> in the fashion business. I mean, just let's run through all the things you kind of own or run or manage. Yeah, it's like the sort of trotter's trading of the fashion world. <laughs> Del Boy. Um, Del Boy. I'm the Del Boy of fashion. Um well, it's, 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 yeah, I guess it is. It's, it's getting that way, isn't it, Hilary? Um, so I started with Norton and Sons. That's which in is, Savile Row. Which is the bespoke tailors on Savile Row, right. which is a beautiful, wonderful little business that dates back to 1821. Fantastic. Um, I took that over back in 2005. Um, in, in 2009, I relaunched E Torts and Sons, right. which we relaunched as E Torts. Um, and Edward Torts was the head cutter at a firm called Hammond and Co. <laughs> right. Um, and Hammond and Co. was another English sporting great. It was a legend of the 18th and 19th century. What based in London? Based in London, yeah. based on uh, on Oxford Street. Right. Um, and so yes, we have. So Hammond is in the portfolio too, which we relaunched for Demenhams uh, exclusively back in 2012. Right. But your kind of beginnings weren't even in fashion. It was engineering, wasn't it? That yeah, that's right. Kind I, of launched you. But what made you switch from engineering into fashion? Well, I'd always loved fashion. You know, at the age of five, I remember my first day at school the night before giving myself a haircut in the bathroom mirror just to make sure that I looked absolutely perfect when, of course... All it did was make sure I looked like a tiny little scarecrow. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a photograph of me, pr you know, proud as punch in my, in my school uniform with my tie perfectly tied and the tie knot sitting perfectly in the middle of my shirt. And I was always obsessed with making sure that I was well-dressed and correctly dressed. And, you know, and I always made sure everything was clean and tidy and neat. I mean, were there any sort of stylish dresses or rock stars or film stars that you kind of tried to emulate or well, you know, were inspired by? Well, I think, you know, I was I was inspired. At the time, there were no... I mean, this was, we're talking about the mid-1980s here. Right. And this was a time really before men's magazines had gotten big. Mm -hmm. And there were, there, were, there were menswear sections in the back of Vogue. There was one in L, I remember. But they were only every three months. Mm. So every three months, you'd get a, 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 a little splurge of menswear. <laughs> and I'd go to the shops in Edinburgh. I'd go to the charity shops. And there was this great big secondhand clothing market called Flip of Hollywood. And I would try and recreate the looks in the magazines. And, but it was, it was in there somewhere. But I loved engineering. And I, 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 I did maths, physics and chemistry A-level and general studies. What were and, you planning to do with an well, engineering degree? I don't know, degree? really. I mean, you could do anything with, a, with an engineering degree. Bill but I loved, I loved stuff. I liked making things. And, uh, you know, I was obsessed with how things were put together and obsessed with the materials things were made from. And I did a, a degree in material science and engineering. And we studied... You know, we studied all sorts of materials, metallurgy, polymers, ceramics. We did a bit of traditional materials and a bit of textiles, but, but not very much. And mostly kind of technical textiles, the sort of things that you find in the, you know, the 
nose cones of rockets and things like that, you know, carbon, not carbon something you'd make a suit Not something you'd make a suit out of. When you decided engineering, right, that's it, I'm going to move into fashion, well, it must have been a bit of a leap in a way into the unknown. What, how did you well, manage it? Well, it was a it? huge leap into the unknown and it wasn't really, I didn't make a conscious decision. I mean, I, I don't think I ever once thought, oh, I should make a career in fashion. Mm. I had a career in engineering and... I went back to university age 31 to do a postgraduate degree because at this point I sort of had a, an inkling that I wasn't quite where I wanted to be. You know, in my mid-twenties, I thought that I wanted to be an architect. So I went back to night school. I was living in Liverpool at the right. time and I did A-level art at night school and I got a place to study architecture at Liverpool University and then sort of bottled it. And, you know, I got a new job. My, Work gave me a different position and I got to travel. I was doing all this amazing stuff. So I sort of, you know, I, 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 I cow, you know, sort of cow, in a cowardly way, I said, right, I'm going to stick with what I'm doing. But then a few years later, I realized, again, there was still something that was gnawing at me somewhere. Um, and at that, that time, I decided I wanted to become a landscape gardener. So I went <laughs> off and... Um, I volunteered for the National Trust. I did their, you know, I did these weekly, you know, week National Trust programs where you went off and you worked in one of their gardens and worked with their gardeners and learned stuff from them and, and, and helped maintain gardens or build paths or do whatever. Um, and I was set on that for a while and then for some reason changed my mind. And uh, so there was always something that, that was, you know, I loved what I was doing, mm. but I knew that there was something else I wanted to do. And then Having done this degree, I just I thought it would be an eye-opener. I thought it would be a great time to kind of take stock and reflect. But while I was at, uh, while I was at Oxford doing my degree, um, I was supposed to have lunch with a friend, and he stood me up, basically. And the only paper that was left in college was an FT. Right. And in the back of the FT is a section called Businesses for Sale. And I'd never read <laughs> Businesses for Sale in my life before, but on that one day... There was an advert, and it was the size of a postage stamp, and mm -hmm. it said, for sale, tailors to kings, emperors, and presidents. Write to Mr. N. Granger at 16 Savile Row. Oh, my God, there's a Savile Row tailor for sale. And I, you know, having pinched myself and, you know, realised I wasn't dreaming, I thought, well, this is, this is extraordinary. So I wrote to Mr. Granger at 16 Savile Row, and he sent me a letter back and a little memorandum of information. And you know, to cut a long story short, I... I thought this was a good idea and I, I couldn't believe it. And, and this, this sort of felt like destiny. And, and so I bought Norton and Sons in, in December 2005 with the help of some friends and family. And, and you mortgaged a house. I sold, my, I sold my house mm. and, I, and I mortgaged. I'd been lucky to keep hold of a, a first house I had when I lived up in Liverpool. And that had gone up in value quite a lot. So I sold that. And, and you know, when most of my classmates were disappearing off to work in management consultancy and banking and so on I you owned took, a over, in took, Row. Over, took over a nearly 200 year old tailors on Savile Row slightly down at heel at that point and was were, were the staff all intact I mean the cutters and we had one part-time cutter and we had one full-time in-house tailor and that was it and what about clients or clients? Customers? Well, according according to <laughs> according to Mr. Granger, it was a client book that was stuffed with wonderful clients, but it turned out not to be quite the case, and we we had to re you know we had to rebuild the business pretty much from scratch. Mm. Um, you know, some of our old clients came back. Uh, I'm very pleased to say, and some of them continue to be clients today. You know, 
13 years later. Um, but yeah, it was a start. I, 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 I had to knuckle down and learn learn the trade. And, and you got involved in the design right from the well, beginning? We, I mean, at Norton's, we don't really design. It's mm. a conversation that we have. You know, obviously, we need to know or I need to know my way around the bunches. And we have probably 7,000 cloths to choose from right. in the shop. And I need to know my way around that. And I need to know the ins and outs of style. And I need to understand how different things work on different bodies. But it's a conversation. So I'm mm-hmm. not saying to you, this is what we think you should wear. I'm saying to you, what do you think you should wear? And we yes. have this, this, this back and forth. Or where, where are you planning to wear the Where do you suit? live? What is your yeah. life like? Where yeah. you, you know, what do you do with your time? And we have this lovely conversation. And we think very hard about... The, the, the man and his life and his lifestyle and, and how we can build wardrobes of clothes that mm-hmm. help them enjoy that to the, to the maximum. Um, you know, and what to wear in hot weather and what to wear in cold weather and, you know, what the right thing. And we have to be experts on, you know, the formal dress codes. We were helping, right. uh, we were helping uh, an American actor who attended the royal wedding this year make sure that he was properly correctly Immaculate. dressed for the for the occasion um which was a challenge actually because he you know i don't think they quite get that you know morning dress is a fixed thing and yes. it's not to be played with you can't tweak but you know we we, we, we had to just I, I i got stuck into the workshop mm-hmm. i learned how to make i was the undercutter for you know there was there was uh, uh our head our head cutter at the time um was was only part-time and i so I did all the chop, the chopping out. I did the trimmings. I did the trotting. I did, you know, all the um, all the kind of legwork in the back of the workshop. I did, but I learned, you know, I learned how the trade operated, right. and uh, and we were lucky, you know, we 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 went back to basics, and we just decided that we wanted to make sure we had the best tailors, the best cloths, and we celebrated our smallness. Right, you know, we were we were happy to be. A small house on Savile Row that had, you know, made for some tremendously prestigious clients in the past and had an interesting history. And uh, you know, what, what made it went well? I mean, that's one way of doing um, the menswear business. Obviously, you know, one to one, bespoke, uh, but moving then into ready to wear, which you did. That was the next step. It was in in two thousand and eight. So three years after we'd, we'd started with Norton. So Norton's mm. had just by this point started to, to work. You know, we had a couple of bits of good luck. We, the BBC made a documentary about Savile Row, which, which they made the second year I was there. And yeah. we, we, we had far more than our fair share of, <laughs> of, of coverage in that. And the same year, Kim Jones, yes. now, of course, of Dior and latterly of Louis Vuitton, approached us about making some pieces for his own label menswear, right. which we were delighted to do and it was it was a real eye-opener and he was a a phenomenal man and still is a phenomenal man and through these two things and through Kim we got to know Alexander McQueen who became Lee McQueen who became a customer of ours and through through Kim we worked with Christopher Kane and and Henry Holland yes. I met through <laughs> through all of this, and we you know, we we you know we make for some amazing men now in the in the fashion world. Like, you know, Christian Louboutin is a yeah. is a good customer of ours and, and good friend, and that opened us up to a whole new world. And you know, in in a, in, in in almost overnight between between our associations with Kim and and the BBC documentary, our business was transformed. Right, and so. You know, I was off the peg. Off, I was off. I was off to a off to a off to a flying start, and we 
we we were approached about doing ready to wear. Right. Actually, it was a store in Japan that approached us, and. I loved Norton and Sons as it was. It was a wonderful, bespoke tailoring house with this fantastic history. It was unsullied, and I didn't want to mess with the formula. Mm. You know, we just got to a point where things were working very nicely, and I knew that in the the family we had the E. Torts and Sons brand, and right. and, and Edward Torts had been a, a fantastic tailor in his day. He was a real he was a real innovator in sportswear too. And I say, you know, he learned from Hammond and and brought that to his own brand. And so we 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 decided that we would do our ready to wear under the E-Torts name. And that, of course, is a very different proposition. This is about, you know, this is about us saying this is what we think you should wear. Right. And this is about producing collections, producing collections. So we started producing collections. The first one I designed in in late 2008, which was for autumn, winter 2009. And. We got very lucky. We again, we got off to a great start. Um, we had a great policy of of trying to use British mills, British textiles, British manufacturers, mm-hmm. which was very early. You know, I think we were the first people to say, you know, we are a you know we are a brand that makes in Britain, and 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 that again was partly because at Norton's we'd always use. You know, when I took over at Norton's, I said we will only use British textiles right. where we can. You know, we. We, we buy linens and, and cottons from elsewhere, but our woolen worsteds were British, and right. that was a policy. Um, and it worked, and I won the um, Men's Wear Designer Award. of the Year Award in 2010, <laughs> which was amazing. You know, I beat Paul Smith. I was up against Paul Smith and, and, and Christopher Bailey for Burberry, and I, frank, I, couldn't, I frankly couldn't believe it. <laughs> but it was an astonishing honour, and, uh, and that was a real, I mean, a real kind of... Uh, Sort of again, kick launch pad for for everything that I've done since. And was that a kind of um, sort of inducement to then, you know, do uh, the Hammond and Co for, for Debenhams because it was working so successfully? Well, I think you know, I think ready to wear is 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 difficult. Mm. And you know, and I started eTorts and I knew absolutely nothing about ready to wear. I'd been running a bespoke tailors, which is a very different business. Yeah, you know, people come to us. They give us some money, we make them something. It's it's a very simple yes. proposition. Ready to wear is a very difficult game, and um, well, you don't some, you don't don't really know who your customer is. You don't, you don't know, know the who person. they are. They, you don't know who you're going to sell it to, which countries you're going to be selling yeah. it into, and all of this stuff. And and you know, we'd we'd made a good name with Etorts, and the fashion world liked what we're doing. And and uh, and Debenhams approached me and said, "Look, I think we like what you're doing, and mm-hmm. and and um, we think we might want you to do." Uh, a formal wear collection for us. And I said, well, I think we can do something much better than that. I think we can do something more interesting and much broader because I think there's a real gap here because eTorts was doing very well. People loved it. Right. You know, it was critically well received, but it was quite expensive. Mm. And it remains quite expensive. <laughs> and it probably wasn't so, exactly um, pulling in um, <laughs> lots of money. <laughs> no, it wasn't pulling in lots of money. Hillary. In fact, it was pulling in very little money at all. But it was, uh, you know, we, we it was it was... Holding its own in this, you know, in that sort of small scale right. market men's fashion world, but you know, we were getting orders from, you know, stores that were five or six thousand quid, and you know, the big, the biggest ones we ever had were people like Harrods and Mr. Porter. Um, but uh, you know, Debenhams approached me and said, "Look, we think," and I thought this is great because we can take what we've been doing with eTorts. Right. We know that men are interested in dressing in a slightly different way. We know that they love all of that classic style of 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 England and right. that heritage style and all of the best of you know British 
you know, British tailoring, British shirt making, all the beautiful shoemaking traditions we have, all the fantastic textiles and all of these great men that have inspired British dressers over the year. You know, Hammond & Co. made for Edward VII, who was the (laughs) the most extraordinarily dressed man, the man that, you know, the tailors of Europe used to hide in the bushes and take his (laughs) photographs because they wanted to copy him. So we had this this fantastic story here. And a lineage of, you know, yeah. a heritage. And, 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 and I, I, got, I felt that there was nobody doing it on the high street with the same level of integrity, the same attention to detail. I mean, the difference between the right grey Prince of Wales check mm. and the wrong grey Prince of Wales checks, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, in the, it's a subtle thing. And yeah. I think I just felt that lots of people were getting it just wrong. And I felt there was an opportunity... Uh, to try and do it right. And Hammond was a great vehicle. It was a, it was a wonderful old brand that already had you know, it, it, an understanding of its own DNA. It knew where it was coming from. And then when, so when we started working on the collections, which we did, so I went back to Debenhams and I, yeah. think, I think we can do something more. Here's Hammond & Co. Why don't, we, why don't we build this? And happily they said yes. And so we got to work. And actually we, we spent a long time before it launched in store <laughs> getting our blocks right, you know, the suit shape, the shape of our jackets, the proportions, the lapel shapes, the, you know, our formal shirts. We know we were making sure that we had absolutely, you know, the right width of the placket and the depth Mm. of the gauntlet and all these little details. And the buttons. The buttons, the button, you know, the positioning, the, the, all of this stuff to me is very important. You know, my, I, I, I mean, I'm sure I sometimes infuriate our team because I'll make the move a button you know, a quarter of an inch up or I'll get them to, you know, re- reduce or increase the size of a pocket by, yeah. a, you know, a, a quarter a inch or, you know, <laughs> just change the angle on a, on, on a patch pocket on a jacket just so that it's, you know, but change a shade of blue, just, mm. you know, a, a, a sort of almost infinitesimally small amount. But it's, it's all about getting it just right. And we had this DNA. So the design teams, when we started, and, and when we started Hammond was a smaller collection than it is now, you know, everybody understood where we were coming from. We understood the story. We understood the importance of using fantastic textiles, cutting, but being brave in our pattern choices because right. men, men want to dress in an interesting way. Mm. I think you know, men don't want to look like clowns, but they don't want to look Boring. drab. They no. want to, you know. And again, it's about trying to, you know. So we cut beautiful jackets in extraordinary patterns. We, you know, the first the first season that we launched, we had this fantastic double-breasted, large Prince of Wales checked suit. It was a, it was a mid-grey with a blue overcheck, and it was absolutely fantastic looking. And they thought, you know, we can't sell big checks, we can't sell double-breasteds, and we knocked it out of the park with this suit. And it was, and I said, well, why don't we do fair isle sweaters? Oh, we can't do fair isle sweaters. No one wears fair isle sweaters. <laughs> but actually, you know, we can do fair isle sweaters because men want to wear pattern but they want to wear yes. a pattern that, they, that has a sense of its place in in that that sort of sartorial history mm. and you know and now we wear you know we the summer collections that we design you know they're sort of inspired by men like David Niven and the Riviera yes yes so and it, you know and their travels around the world so the patterns that are in the men's shirts are not traditional English patterns but they're the sort of things that that 
great English style icon would have picked up, you know, in a in a cloth shop in Japan and brought back to his shirt maker in London and had made into a bowling yeah. shirt. Or if he'd been in Florence or, you know, Ex- somewhere exactly. in Italy. Yeah. Picking up silks for his ties in Naples or whatever yeah. it happens to be. That is the Hammond man. He's a mm. man who travels and he acquires elements of style from all over. And I think that's why... English men's dressing has always been so great because we've we have a, an underpinning of you know classic elegance and classic style from you know from the Savile Row cut suit to the German Street shirt to the Northampton shoe, mm. but we've always been great magpies acquiring yeah. all of these beautiful elements and colours and textures and patterns from, from wherever from wherever we have been and as yeah. as as British you know the Brits have been great travellers we've been everywhere and we've. You know, we've we've brought back the best. You know, well, paisleys like from yeah, exactly. souvenirs. Exactly, and mm. we've integrated that into the way we dress. We, you know, paisley patterns from India, yeah. and 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 you know, and 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 patterns from Japan and from China, and and you know, textured textured wovens from Africa and wherever it happens to be, and all of this has found its way into the great men's wardrobe, and that is what Hammond and Co. is about. You know, yes, we have the beautiful classic English flannel suit. Yeah. You know, and it's always in the collection. And we have that classic lightweight navy Panama for the summer. But the layers of, the layers of, of all the interest, right. all the kind of peacocky moment that, uh, you know, that the exuberance that I think men really enjoy, even if it's just a splash of colour in a pocket handkerchief right. or... You know, just a, just a, a a fun print to wear with a cl- you know a classic pleated chino, with a woven belt and a and a splash of a splash of print. Right. So, it's been what ten years or so now, since you've kind of exploded, shall we say, into the kind of menswear market. Well, I suppose yeah, about ten, about ten years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How have you? How would you say you've seen? men's style or men, men's approach to style change? Because it obviously has changed in the last decade. I think it has changed enormously. Um, I think men are much braver now than they ever were. I think many men are much vainer now than they ever were. And I like that. I think, we, you know, it's funny because if you look at history, mm-hmm. men were Oh, they were the dandies peacocks. and peacocks. They were extravagantly yes. dressed. I mean, look at the, you know, the 16th, 17th century. Well, even look at Poldark, those gorgeous sort of frock coats frock he wears. Frock coats, brocade breeches, flowing hats. silks. I mean, men were absolutely out there. And Boots, jodhpurs. And then the Victorians came along and knocked it all on the head. And everybody, you know, Beau Brummel and the Victorians, and we we crept into our shells. And I think men are coming out of their shells. I mean, I don't think we're going to go back to silk hose and buckle shoes, <laughs> but we're definitely in finding our feet again and enjoying... You know, we're really enjoying clothes again. Mm. And I think it's, it's a great thing because, you know, girls have been having all the fun all this time. <laughs> and, and men are rediscovering print, colour pattern yeah. you know we we sell a lot of really boldly checked jackets we're we're selling we're selling fantastic colors in prints and very bold very big scale prints you know print was always quite a a sort of timid and small affair with menswear but we're saying you know we're selling huge prints and i think you've got to get the balance right yeah you, know, you don't want to walk, go out with print trousers you know print shirt print you know big checked hat whatever it happens to be what can we look forward to then for Autumn winter for men from Hammond and Co. 
What's coming up? I, I know you're using um, Harris Tweed, for example. We ha- again, we we work really hard to try and bring the Hammond customer beautiful fabrics. Mm-hmm. And you know, there is nothing more iconic than Harris Tweed. And we have some Harris Tweed in the collection. We have some Harris Tweed. We have some Harris Tweed hats, and we have some Harris Tweed backed gloves. But we also have beautiful English textiles from. Uh, from Alfred Brown in our suits. Again, there's a lot of pattern. There's a lot of bold patterns, a lot of color. Uh, we do very well with color in the in the in the torts collection. And in the winters, we 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 tone it down a little bit. It's mm-hmm. not quite so saturated. So, I mean, the colors of your skirt, funnily enough, you know, some <laughs> mustards and teals and beautiful rich burgundies. Again, lots of lots of lots of great patterns in the silks and ties and the handkerchiefs. Um, and this this all is reflected in the Hammond and Co collection. All of this, all of this is in the Hammond collection. Mm. We we you know we have, we we love the winter. We've got, I mean we've got some huge bold checked overcoats which are, I mean a really punchy statement, but they still look still look very elegant. You know the cut is very is very classic. You know I I I have a, a theory that if the if the cut is classic, the the, the pattern can be. A bit bolder, right? Or vice versa, or vice versa. Or vice yeah. versa. But never the never the two, never bold pattern and crazy cut. Because I mean, then you just anyway. <laughs> but it, it looks too mad. But uh, it's it, the collection is 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 a is a continuation of this riff on great classic patterns. But you know, we've exploded the scale a little bit in some of the checks. We've added a lot of colour, a lot of texture, lots of beautiful textured knits, very very chic sort of knitted polos and and. Um, Beautiful knitwear. Like we, you know, we we work really hard to put real texture and shape into our knitwear. Lots of really beautiful, interesting knit stitches, um, but it still has a very elegant British feel. Mm. Now we've talked a lot about what men should do or can do. Um, do you have any definite? ghastly no-nos that I mean you sort of see someone walking down the street a man or a guy and you think oh oh no please no I mean I I, I, I feel that feeling often but I, I always think it's in a way it's a good thing that they're doing something that's bold I like you know the men the men I feel are most the, the most stylish men are those men who express their own personality through their clothes and I know that when I was a 14, 15, 16-year-old, my friends were walking 10 yards behind me down Princess Street in Edinburgh because <laughs> they were embarrassed to be standing next to me. And it's only by going through all of that and taking risks of being bold about your clothes that you you settle into a personal style. And I, you know, I, I mean, I, I gasp with horror at some of the stuff that I used to wear. Thankfully, pre-digital camera, pre-the internet... <laughs> So it's all in the bottom Pretty of shoe boxes somewhere if it exists at all. No but selfies. <laughs> no selfies, nothing. There's very little very little record of my experimental fashion days. But I think men should feel happy to, you know, don't don't feel constrained. Mm. Where do it, try it. See what see what happens. See what your friends think. But, you know, I, I was always that person that, you know, m- my friends were slightly laughing at or if not outrightly laughing at. But they're you know, not that's, they're not laughing at well, you now. No, they're still laughing a bit now. <laughs> but um I think that's how you develop a personal sense of style and those Men with personal style are the men I think are most stylish of all. I think you know, there are too many too many copycats, I think have feel free to experiment with your clothes and just enjoy it brilliant patrick thank you very much thank you